I enjoyed my entire time with him on screen. Uh, and like him interacting with honestly everybody. I was like, this is just great. And he's just, he just gets to be low key funny the entire time. Uh -huh, low key, damn it. We all really enjoy Loki. We enjoy the TV show. We enjoy the Marvel comic. We also enjoy knowing about North mythology. And I wanted to actually have a conversation about those things. What's up? I'm RJ Young. This is the RJ Young Show. And on this one, we're going to go with uh, the first segment, perhaps the best known myth about Loki, which involves the creation of Thor's hammer and dwarfs nearly chopping off, you know, the god of mischief's head for, well, being mischievous and an arrogant prick or Pratt. Both of those work. In segment two, a uh, character study about Loki in an ancient storytelling tradition of the trickster, courtesy of the aggressively aggregated Smithsonian. I found clicking links to another aggressively aggregated blog post. And of course, we talk about those things. And then act three or segment three, a discussion with my best friend Tyler about the hit TV show that is Loki on Disney+. Plus. There are spoilers if you have not already seen this TV show. Um, and at the heart of this conversation is a genocidal god with an apparent heart of gold. Yes, it's oxymoronic, but that's where the good stuff is. So, without further ado, let's do the show. In June, the Smithsonian did a really cool thing. They put James Deutsch on notice and they said to him yo man we need you to come up with a definitive character study of one loki now i'm saying they did all this what we do know is that they asked him to write about loki and what he found is this great tradition of tricksters and in his piece in the Smithsonian, june 9 2021 begins tricksters walk a fine line in our folk imagination, so long as their tricks remain playful, even if somewhat mischievous, we enjoy their company and opportunity to laugh, especially if their cleverness challenges figures of authority. However, if their tricks become cruel or sadistic or demean those who are relatively powerless, we may reject them entirely. This is true of Loki and I think true of every great trickster. He's dubbed the god of mischief, but that's not quite accurate. See, what Deutsch uncovered is that for folklorists, however, like Loki's place in the pantheon of tricksters, heroes, is even more universal. Loki, he writes, uh, has attracted more scholarly attention during the past century than perhaps any other figure in North mythology, primarily as a result of the ubiquity of the importance of surviving mythological documents and the almost universally acknowledged ambiguity of his character. Matter of fact, he didn't write that. He's quoting Gerald Frakes, who wrote that. But some sources he does write characterize Loki as the son of two giants who abandoned, well, him in the battle with Odin, one of the leading gods in North mythology, as many of you know, and others have said he is the son of Freya and Odin. Now, we, we generally go along with Loki as the adopted son. Jacob Krim, Jacob Krim, Jacob Grimm, you know, the fairy tales dude, uh, actually wrote about Loki and gave him the moniker God of Fire and gave him the ability to manipulate fire, which is also interesting. Uh, other scholars see Loki as a shortened name for the devil Lucifer. Huh. 
or perhaps, you know, derived from loca, with Old English for prison. The latter may relate to an especially gruesome myth in which Loki, imprisoned in a cave and held by the steadfast, or excuse me, the solidified entrails of his son Narvi, cannot escape until the apocalyptic end known in North mythology as Ragnarok. Yo. Uh, this particular myth spares no grisly detail. Narvi's entrails are available because cool gods transformed his brother, Valley, into a wolf who then devoured Narvi. A poisonous serpent slowly releases its venom to drip onto Loki's face, which causes him to shriek in pain and the earth to quake. Yikes, dog. Goodness me. But, like, you know, Loki's also arrogant and insubordinate, but also very intelligent and into himself and particularly tratty. But these are also central characteristics of the trickster. And the trickster, Tim Callahan notes, you know, doesn't really have a fixed nature. He, she is a villain. They can be heroic. They're fools. They're extremely intelligent. They charm us even when they're lying. Like, you really can't pin down a trickster. As a matter of fact, in many instances, this again is Deutsch, the trickster takes the form of an animal like Big Turtle from the storytelling tradition of the Pawnee on the Central Plains. One of the best examples of the trickster's guile and ability to talk his way out of any situation is recorded in Stiff Thompson's 1929 Tales of North American Indians. Hearing that hostile humans will place him on hot coals, Big Turtle warns them, All right, that will suit me, for I will spread out my legs and burn some of you. Next, hearing that they've decided instead to immerse him in boiling water, Big Turtle declares, Good, put me in, and I will scald some of you. And finally, hearing that they will throw him into a deep stream, Big Turtle cries, No, don't do that. Do that. Big Turtle obviously is tongue-tied and can't speak. No, do not do that. I am afraid. Do not throw me in the water. And of course, as soon as the people throw Big Turtle into the water, he swims to the surface and taunts their gullibility. Such is the way of the trickster. I like Big Turtle. Coyote tricksters prevail in Native American tales of the Southwest. A raven trickster triumphs in Native American tales of the Northwest. And a shape-shifting trickster, uh, trickster who frequently appears as a spider in the mischievous well, West African and Caribbean folklore. I should say he is a mischief maker in West African and Caribbean folklore. In one well-known African-American tradition, the crafty character Br'er Rabbit outwits large animals such as the fox using reverse psychology to reach the safety of the briar patch. Of course, another trickster, Rabbit, is Bugs Bunny, which brings us back to, you know, other television and big screen pranksters from Woody Woodpecker to Bart Simpson to Jack Sparrow to the Joker and Batman to Fred and George Weasley and Harry Potter and so forth so on but I think you know I kind of skipped over this Anansi the spider is tattooed on my right calf why storyteller black storyteller and I really enjoy the stories that he is telling shout out to Neil Gaiman who wrote Anansi Boys which you know I really do I enjoy like people say Nancy I say Anansi because I'm an idiot it's Anansi Nancy boy, you know, Nancy the spider. Matter of fact, that's my favorite character in American Gods, and I was really sad to see him go away. But I thought that giving this particular sort of history of the trickster is also worthwhile for us because it helps us better understand who Loki is, both in the lore and 
in the TV show, well, in the eponymous TV show, man, I'm so much better in print, but this is so much more fun. Thing that I would take away from all of this is just how much we enjoy being tricked. We like going to magic shows, even knowing that it's not real because we are paying for this person to grift us. It's one of my like favorite forms of storytelling is the con man is the grifter going back to the 19th century when the original grifter I think the fellow's name is Stephen Thompson actually no his name is not Stephen Thompson it is Samuel Thompson in early July 1849 the New York Herald then the most profitable and most widely circulated paper in the United States published in its police intelligence column a series of four unassigned short reports about the arrest of a swindler purportedly known as quote the confidence man i pulled this from a paper by one john brocker and barack orbeck called scamming the misunderstood confidence man there is a link in the show notes with the exception of one piece, the articles were published in the internal pages of the paper. The Herald also published a provocative editorial about the confidence man, comparing him to, quote, the real or true confidence men, Wall Street financiers. The swindler, Samuel Thompson, was a graduate of the college at Sing Sing, in quotes, and used a highly distilled version of an old trick. He expressly asked his victims to place confidence in him by lending him money or a watch the herald did not treat the story as an important one during 1849 july that year the herald allocated considerable more space to reports about fewer other swindlers and whereabouts of like father matthew general matters such as political and foreign affairs the cholera outbreak in new york the movements of major steamboats and theater reviews the articles about the confidence man however drew more attention and had an immediate impact on journalism, literature, law, and culture, obviously. The Herald redefined swindling and introduced the modern analysis of scamming. The Herald is credited for coining the term confidence man and the original report about the arrest of Thompson, which is actually frequently cited because they don't ever want the confidence men to get away. All right, moving on. The story that Alfred tells in Batman, The Dark Knight, I should say, in which he's talking about a thief that was stealing all these rubies just to throw them away because some men just want to watch the world burn. I think you could put tricksters into that category, and I think it's one of the reasons why that story about Loki being held prisoner by his kids' entrails also tells us what the fate of most strictors will be. So I found this story on Norse-mythology.org, or what they bill as Norse mythology for smart people. I tend to think of that as a dig, and I'm sure that it's warranted. Story is called The Creation of Thor's Hammer which I find really interesting. It begins, One day, Loki, the trickster, found himself in an especially mischievous mood and cut off the gorgeous golden hair of Sif, the wife of Thor. 
Remember that Lupel that Yamea Mobius put Loki into where, yeah, she's punching him relentlessly for cutting off her hair? This is where he did that. When Thor learned of this, his quick temper was enraged, and he seized Loki and threatened to break every bone in his body. It's like 206 bones. Loki pleaded with the Thunder God to let him go down to, why do they have to put this word in here, Svalterheim? Svalterheim? Esheim. Let's go with Esheim. Good God. The cavern is home of the dwarves, and see if those master craftspeople could fashion a new head of hair for Sif. See, Sif, easy. Why don't we just name our town stuff like Sif? This one, even more beautiful than the original. Thor allowed this, and off Loki went to Esheim. There, he was able to obtain what he desired. The son of the dwarf Evaldi forged not only a new head of hair for Seth, but also two other marvels. Skidbladnir, which means assembled from thin pieces of wood. Why don't we just say that? Hello. The best strips, or the, excuse me, the best of all ships, which always had a favorable win and can be folded up and put into one's pocket and Gungnir swaying the deadliest of all spears. So we got Gungnir and Skidbladnir. Having accomplished his task, Loki was overcome by an urge to remain in the caves of the dwarves and revel in more recklessness like you do. He approached the brothers Brocker and Sindri, metalworker and spark sprayer. So we got a metalworker and a welder respectively, and taunted them, saying that he was sure the brothers could never forge three new creations equal to those the sons of Evaldi had fashioned. In fact, he even bet his head on their lack of ability. Broker and Sindri, however, accepted the wager. As they worked, a fly, who of course was none other than Loki in disguise, stung Sindri's hand. When the dwarf pulled his creation out of the fire, it was a living boar with golden hair. This was Gullenbursti, or Golden Bristle, who gave off light in the dark and could run better than any horse, even through water or air. Sindri then set another piece of gold on the fire as Brocker worked the bellows. The fly bit Brocker on the neck, and Sindri drew out a magnificent ring, Dropnir, Dripper is its meaning. From this ring, every ninth night fall eight golden rings of equal weight. So we are here just printing money. Sindri then put iron on the heart and told Brocker that for his next working, they must be especially meticulous, for a mistake would be more costly than with the previous two projects. Loki immediately stung Brocker's eyelid and the blood blocked the dwarf's eye, preventing him from properly seeing his work. Sindri produced a hammer of unsurpassed quality which never missed its mark and would boomerang 
back to its owner after being thrown, but it had one flaw. The handle was short. Sindri lamented that this had almost ruined the piece, which was called Mjolnir, meaning lightning. Nevertheless, sure of the great worth of their three treasures, Sindri and Brocker made their way to Asgard to claim the wages that were due to them. Loki made it to the halls of the gods before the dwarves and presented the marvels he had acquired. To Thor, he gave Sif's new hair and the hammer Mjolnir. To Odin, went the ring Dropnir and the spear Gungnir. And Freyr, that's his stepmama, was the happy recipient of Skibladnir, 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 and Gullenbursti. Man, why y'all gotta make this stuff so hard to say? As grateful as the gods were to receive these gifts, especially Mjolnir, which they foresaw would be of inestimable help in their battles against the giants, they nevertheless concluded that Loki still owed the dwarfs his head. <laughs> his own family is like, nah, dog, they got to cut off your head now. <laughs> these, these, these gifts, they're real good. <laughs> when the dwarves approached Loki with knives, the cunning god pointed out that he had promised them his head, but not his neck. Broker and Sindri contented themselves with sewing Loki's mouth shut and returned to their forge. It's the story of how man's Thor got the hammer, which was a gift from his brother Loki. I found that really entertaining. So Tyler is not only uh, one of my best friends, but also, uh, well, the king of miniatures and, and, and all things 40K Warhammer. So Tyler, that definitely qualifies you for, you know, this conversation about Loki in which, you know, the college football guy also has things to say about Loki. Uh, am I missing any credentials that should be included? Oh, the king of miniatures. Thank you for recognizing uh... <laughs> Recognizing that about me, people don't say that in the street to me. All hail King Tyler, King of the Miniatures. Uh, I don't get that enough, mainly because I don't go outside anymore. But you know, well, hey, look, uh, wait do you see my variants. Like, <laughs> oh my god, so on time. Okay, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. All right, uh, so I put together you know, a list of topics, things I wanted to discuss. And I think we kind of hit on the same thing that we wanted to talk about uh, at the top. So I'm going to start with this prompt from Michael Waldron, who is basically the showrunner uh, and co-creator of the TV series Loki. And we're going to have to differentiate, I think, along the way. Sometimes we'll be talking about Loki, the TV show. Other times we'll just be talking about Loki, uh, as in the god and Marvel supervillain slash superhero. And to that question... Let's go with heavy question mark. Right. Let's go with Michael Waldron's quote here. I'm going to give it to you, Tyler, and then you give me what you think about it. Um, I think that you could argue that the journey of the season for him is about Loki becoming a hero in a lot of ways. And what's more heroic than doing the right thing for the right reasons and losing anyways? Suddenly, he's in the position that Steve Rogers found himself in after Infinity War, which is really compelling. And that is from Comic Book Resources, uh, and I will put a link to 
this story in the description along with all the other sources. So, Tyler, what do you got on Michael Waldron trying to gas up Loki as Steve Rogers, of all things? So, after Infinity War... Okay, so this is when he is uh, in the... He's a, a counselor in group therapy for having lost everything at the snap, right? Correct. Or, I guess, half of everything at the snap. Uh doing the right things for the right reasons i found it hard to remember exactly why loki was doing the right thing or if it was the right thing it seemed the safe thing versus the uh was it the safe thing versus the unknown possibly nightmarish but possibly not am i am i remembering that right because at the end of loki the, the choice that he made for for doing the right thing was Oh, gosh, what was that? Was that trying to keep? I thought it was simply not killing, you know, not, Nathaniel. Yeah, not killing somebody, not, right. Not not killing. Not killing Kong. <laughs> like, or a killing variant of Kong. The, the great time monster. <laughs> uh, and and keeping the, the idea of the timeline, the one sacred timeline intact. Because that choice would lead to that, right? They didn't have a an out. See, that's the problem. I, they they sometimes sneak in outs on there where uh, you know they make somebody wrong. See, we're already but, we're already on a tangent that I did not necessarily want to get on this early point. in the conversation. Sorry, sorry. But, no, that's true. Let, let, let's reel it, let's reel that back. Okay. Um. All right. So Loki is the Captain America's journey, or a journey to be Captain America, doing the right thing. Spent a lot of time. Uh, making it so that we could accept him as a hero, but this is also the Loki who is fresh off of mass murder. Fresh. Because this is the Loki that's right after Avengers. Y right? Yes, yes, because he has not seen his death. Yeah, he has not seen his death. He saw his death, and it's like, is that enough? <laughs> Uh, it it seems it seemed six episodes didn't seem long enough well, to really uh, turn somebody into a hero. Well, and it's also seeing his his stepmom die, right? <sighs> that so yes, right off of yeah. Avengers and and right off of uh, genocidal maniac, uh, if not intergalactic genocidal maniac, and I think there's a different term for that because now we're getting into territory of genocide versus ethnocide, and I think you could put you know, Loki in both categories, like you can't for, for many people who kill large groups of people. But to, yeah. to, to your point of, is that enough to equate him to Captain America? I thought it was more interesting that that is what Michael Waldron wanted to do. Right. Like I, I think this, this is interesting and compelling from the standpoint of does everybody eventually get to be the worst thing that they have done? And does the best thing that they will do trump the worst thing that they have done or will have done? And that also gets into the whole time part of this and the, the <laughs> tenet part of the conversation. I wanted to avoid until later, but it keeps popping up. So I guess we got to talk about it. <laughs> that tenet keeps popping up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so enthusiastic about knowing what the timeline is as they're living it or where they are in it any more than I was in tenet. And I say that to say I'm a storyteller. I write things down. I need to know where I'm going. I know I have to know 
the timeline, right? If I'm telling the story. But as the person who is sitting back and being told the story, I choose to trust the storyteller. Unless there's something that is wildly incongruent in which I'm going, wow, that's a, that is a snafu, right? In the classic abbreviation of the word. Situation normal, all effed up. But mm-hmm. I don't see that in the TV show, and I certainly didn't see that in Tenet. I was just content to let them tell me a story. And it feels to me there are two groups of people. There are the people that want to figure out the show, and there are people that want to enjoy the show. I'm in the enjoy the show category, even as I'm a nerd about this stuff. So did you need to actually be able to put together the timeline to appreciate the story, or are you just in the story? I was thinking about this when you asked me about it, or asked me to to stew on it for a while, and I had I realized absolutely not. I didn't have to sit and try to keep the timeline straight and it wasn't a conscious decision either i was just sitting back and enjoying it part of that probably was the lessons i learned watching wandavision uh and probably the lessons a lot of people learned watching wandavision and also trying to figure out everything that was in wandavision Mm. and then being betrayed with everything being fun little easter eggs and not actually hints of what's to come uh, not everything was that way, but enough of it hurt people who were uh, theory crafting. But this one, I just wanted to have some fun with this series, and uh, and and I did. But I did not have to like keep track of the timeline. Like I didn't have to map it out in my head to move along at like with any of the episodes. I was never confused. Going like, wait. Well, what if, wait, is this where this timeline is? Now in this conversation I am, but only because uh, some of that's real world timeline. It's like, when did these movies get released? Okay, where where are they plucking that out of? But as it stood within storytelling, I didn't need to. Like, I didn't feel the need to, uh, and I also didn't feel like I was getting lost because I wasn't. I can say that I see how it can be confusing from the jump because at the beginning, they are plucking you from a variant timeline of another movie that is referencing another movie. And Loki is supposed to be the same throughout all of those movies. So that part I found could be confusing, right? Because in game, you see the Loki that eventually is the one that starts our story on, on the TV show Loki. But that Loki had come from, you know, I have the Tesseract. I don't have the Tesseract. I'm in Tony Stark's, I don't know, barroom, lounge, being told what it's going to be like. And I'm making jokes. And that is the first Avengers that we had referenced. So once you get that straight and you get situated, which I I thought was fine at the time, I don't see a whole lot to, to argue with. But the other part is, what did you expect them to do with Loki if you make a TV show called Loki? Like... I went way too far down this to figure out what the ideal trickster is. So the ideal trickster also does not have an ideal, which makes it even more maddening, which is to say that that character can be anybody it needs to be. And that goes from Br'er Rabbit on down, right? It can be heroic. It can be villainous. It can be mischievous. It can be all these things at once. And I think in the variations of Tom Hiddleston's Loki, we've seen all of those except the one that we saw in this TV show, right? Like, I, I would say, matter of fact, the only other instance might be standing up to Thanos, trying to kill Thanos and not succeeding, and then dying. 
trying to what? Save your brother? Maybe. So we have the very, very end of Thor Ragnarok, le like leading into standing up to Thanos, which is what Grant of about uh, five minutes of screen time. So if you are willing to just follow this guy on the journey, that also in keeps with I, I doesn't break for character with me. Like the only things that I found interesting about that discussion is how many people need to have their character be one way. Like, I look at Captain America post, you know, Endgame, but even, even or post Infinity War, even leading into Infinity War where he shows up with a beard, I'm going, Jesus Christ with guns! I'm here for this! <laughs> you know, and I'm also told how incongruent that is. Like, RJ, Jesus Christ cannot be double-fisted with overpowered handguns, like with Desert Eagles. I'm going, why not? You know, like, I, I would like to see it in my very Monique voice. And I guess that's what I wanted. I wanted to see what you would do, were able to do with this. And then you introduce Sophia DiMartino, who I don't know that a lot of people saw it coming. But if you re read the books, you've seen Sylvie before. But even so, I was delighted by all of this. And I'm also like, if you are really just twisted up, all you wanted to see was Narcissus kiss himself. Absolutely. And that's that and they gave that to you. They they gave that to you. And I'm going, man, I would have resisted this with every part of my being just because this is the only thing that people wanted to see so I could I could destroy any expectation you have from me. No, be on the floor. I am not going to give you this. But they gave it to you. And yet people are still going around trying to pan this TV show. Let me I say that. I say that. I I found what I thought was the the only real takedown review of this TV show, and it comes in Slate. But I'm just going to give you the subhead because I didn't think that the criticism itself was as strong as this subhead. The Loki finale proves Marvel TV shows are already in a rut. The series remade a charming villain as dull, as a dull passive hero. Feels like you're inclined to agree with them on this tyler that's a, a, that sting on there uh i thought the the passive hero i'm not sure about like dull seems strong uh however uh, whenever i read that i was like you know what he did get turned into a bit uh, like a passive hero like things just happened to him and other people had agency but uh i know it was named loki but we had two main characters by that point, both Lokis. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that puts it, everything dull and in a rut uh, by making him a passive hero at the end, possibly because he's new, new to being a hero. And I'm also still not what I'm not sold on uh, is him having a full redemption arc already. Uh, but Hey, Season two was greenlit, so maybe I'll be satisfied on that. But uh, it didn't make the series dull to me, uh, you know, retroactively uh, as far as that went. I do agree it was turned passive. I just didn't think it was as bad as that uh, that subhead uh, made it out to be. It certainly didn't feel to me like this was bad. I had a great time with this TV show. And to your point about 
are we going to see uh, a season or we're going to see a season two? That was not actually the plan, apparently. Right. The plan was six episodes of this. Perhaps Hiddleston comes back in some other version. But I remember a couple years ago when we were all going, is Loki actually dead? Especially after, you know, fading away and people are going to be brought back. And Feige was like, no, nah, he's really dead. And then I feel like there's a parenthesis that gets left out of that in which we get to say in this version of the MCU. And, you know, like, right. I, I look, I wanted to see some Earth 616 stuff, right? I wanted to see what they were going to be able to do with a kid like Franklin Richards who can create entire dimensions with his mind as a toddler. Like, I want to see them do stuff like that. And they did stuff like that with this TV show. And I'm going, isn't this what we all said we wanted? Like, we were like, okay, cool. If you got to work through Steve Rogers to get us to this, we will be with you. And we have been with them for the better part of 15 years. And Feige's like, now we're going to give you what you asked for. Like, I wanted Secret Wars. I wanted the Beyonder. I wanted the one who, what is it? The, uh, the, the one above all? You know, I like these beans, right? Like, I want to see what mm. they actually look like and do. And then you give us this, right, in the form of Nathaniel, a variant of Kong, right? And I'm going, why are people getting upset about Loki having a redemption story in the middle of this, especially as we know we're about to be given a totally different set of rules with characters that we know, which, by the way, as a storyteller, I'm here for that because I know the terrain. Like, did you read Terry Pratchett's Discworld stuff? I did. Okay. A lot of people show up, right? A lot of people reoccurring. Totally different set of circumstances depending on. Why is this any different, I guess is my question. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what that complaint is that. I was just I was thinking, what else are we gonna do with Loki? <laughs> while we're getting while we're getting this huge quest and opening it everything up to, like you said, doing new things with characters or new characters. You know, having the you know having that rules wiped out, or like bringing on new people, like man, bringing fresh blood to everything. Uh, we've we've stuck with the same heroes for a really long time now, uh, the, a very long running, extremely expensive television show. Uh, yeah, any opportunity to like give us something different, but also like what are we going to frame it around? Uh, sorry, what are we going to frame with this change? And it's like yeah, hero, hero's journey. Sure. You might as well. Um, but when you're doing as much as they're doing, sticking to a, 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 a template, a formula, if you will, to be so crass, that you know and you know works, th that's, that's the move, man. Like, yeah, that, that's the it, move. Just make it, make it simple because we're going to do a lot of complicated stuff elsewhere. Like, just have some – if we do the simple template, we don't have to worry about that part. Well, and as, as, again, as a storyteller, I'm, I, yes, because the whole point is to take something and twist it, to complicate it, right? Romeo and Juliet is Romeo and Jules. How does that change the story, right? Like that, even just saying that out loud puts you in a different place. And depending mm -hmm. on how skilled you are with the environment and the people and the characters, that can be really cool. I thought that was some of the things that they were doing, but I also am okay. I I, I want to talk about Jonathan Majors here for just a second because the oh, way yes. that 
I phrased this question to you is, did Jonathan Majors walk on to the set going, I have to redeem myself with an Oscar-level performance for that trash that is his Atticus in Misha Green's Lovecraft Country? <laughs> that was not definitely a, a that was definitely not a question loaded with uh, baggage from another uh, show. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, so my experience with Jonathan Majors, I, I had heard he was already going to be cast, not for the, but you know, I, I knew, I knew he was going to be, you know, Nathaniel Richards, and so, well, going into the reveal i was i was desperately hoping and i knew i wasn't probably going to get to do to everything needed to tie in i was honestly hoping it was going to be loki's all the way down but like the fit like it's perfect fit the character fit is there fine so i see him he starts his uh performance and honestly initially i wasn't sold on it and it was because i wasn't sure if he was playing somebody who didn't know how to human anymore because he'd been alone for so long or if uh, Jonathan Majors didn't know what to do with the character at that part of the script, it's hard to tell. They're both. <laughs> they're. Uh, they, it turns out they both sound similar. But then whenever he said, "Buddy, I'm tired," <laughs> I was. First off, it was, I get it, I get it. And then also like I'm sold on him, like. Uh, I'm sold on this and and everything past that uh, I was enjoying it uh, versus the just the walking statue that he played in Lovecraft Country. And honestly, I didn't see him particularly uh, loose in The Five Bloods. And I was hoping to see him like, not be like emoting and acting stiffly the entire time. He wasn't as bad. But like in this one, it's like, oh, he got to actually just you know, like be loose and cut loose. Loved it. It's like, hey, I need to take this opportunity to, you know, act something different and not be stiff, stoic, or suppressed. And uh, it was, it, it felt like, oh, I get to actually do something. <laughs> I, I get let out of actor jail. Fantastic. Let's do this. And uh, I, I enjoyed everything from Buddy. I'm tired on. I'm inclined to agree with you because I did not know that he had been cast as Nathaniel Richards because I feel like I, of all people, would have rang the bell that, ooh, Reed Richards is black. Reed Richards is black. Reed Richards is black. Reed Richards is black. <laughs> like, I would have been, right, no, I would have been yelling that. Um, for the for the uninitiated or the less nerdy, Nathaniel Richards is the father of Reed Richards, who, of course, is the head of the Fantastic Four. Uh, and also to my earlier, um, what do we even call this? Man, I work in broadcast communication. I'm lost for words sometimes. Association, my reference, my reference to Franklin Richards. That is what I was talking about, right? Because I want to see mm -hmm. all that through line coming through. And as you get to know Nathaniel Richards and you know that he is, you know, time God supreme or whatever, you can come to understand how a kid like Franklin Richards can exist in, you know, MCU in any version, right? So that was that was part of it. But me not knowing until the end of the TV show that this is going to be Nathaniel Richards and Nathaniel Richards also is Kong. Like, oh my God, Feige's actually going to keep doing this. Like, I, I, 
I am coming to a place where I don't always believe network executives. Um, shocker. But Feige <laughs> has continued to keep up his end, right? And I now have even higher hopes for whatever version of Black Panther comes next because, you know, like, A, we got to see Jonathan Majors, which I, I feel good about. Like, Defy Bloods is good. Um, Lovecraft Country is not. But he was in it, so I'll give him credit for that. Right. And I'm also looking at this going, oh, we're actually going to see him try to court homegirl, and she's going to say, I don't mess with peasants. And then he's going to come back as the destroyer of every world. Not, 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 not a world. Not worlds. Every world. And then he's going to be like, want to marry me? And she's going to be like, yes, I do, actually. And I'm going <laughs> to, like, <laughs> and then Gugu showing up to play that character Oh, my God. Like, I had so much fun going down that rabbit hole because, uh, you know, I'm that guy, right? I'm the dude that was – like, Ron told me uh, – Ron Taylor, my best friend, Tyler's best friend, who has been on this podcast before when we were in college, gave me uh, a torrent before I knew what torrent was of every Marvel comic that had been digitized. And I housed them in a spring break. So I have all this knowledge just rocking, just rattling around here that I should have been using for college or anything else. So every now and again, something gets jarred loose. So when I see these things like Nathaniel Richards pop up, I immediately go down, you know, the the, the storyline that is Kong. Um, all right. The next question I actually had was related to Nathaniel Richards is black. Uh, Reed Richards is black. Is there racism in the MCU like ever? Like ever? <sighs> You know, there was that one time uh, in that one episode of uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Oh, God. You know, you're right. You're right. I, I blacked out Falcon of the Winter Soldier. You know, as... I hate that show. Yeah. I, I want to talk about my my experience with the, uh, the TV shows as a whole. Please. Uh, and part of it's because of that show. But yeah, I think for uh, I think for about ten minutes that one time in the Winter Soldier, uh, because I think if you add up, it's five minutes of Isaiah Bradley, and then I think five minutes of every other mention of loans or finances uh, because of skin color. I think if you add up all of those comments and all of that dialogue, it's another five minutes. So we're gonna go with ten minutes in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Racism existed. And in in the United States, in the time that we live in in particular, like one of the things that I really enjoy is the nods to racism in the MCU all have to do with quote unquote aliens, right? They don't really have to do with humanity. And I'm going, that's weird. Huh? Yeah. Um, I, I, I do while I do I, – Guilty pleasure is uh, for me is uh, reskinning history in the guise of sci-fi, ah, and that involves aliens, sure. Uh, unfortunately, instead of it, but you know, prejudices, trying to dress it up different so that maybe people get it. Right. You, you never know. Right. Probably don't get it, but um, yeah, you get it in stuff set in modern time, uh, with like n like n like actual history adjacent. And then it's like, but we're going to do it with aliens. Like, yeah, but there's just people here right now. It's 1995. 
and these things happened. <laughs> like, yeah, but we're going to do this with aliens. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then. Um, or or mutants. It's going to be one or the other. Uh, marginalized, depressed groups. It's going to be one one of the aliens, mutants. Um, and so I'll, I'll, real quick, I'll do my, my television series. Uh, Loki was my favorite television series out of the, the Marvel TV series so far. Uh, not having seen What If yet. Makes two of us. Uh, we'll we'll do that another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that another day. But as 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 of the end of the series, uh, I I did not like like the highest highs were not the highest. Uh, I think the highest highs for me were still in one division, but the lowest lows were so much higher than everything else uh, that it netted by a fair margin my most enjoyable series. Uh, because the things I did not like are actually pretty pretty small nitpicks um, and not problems with major construction issues like on the storytelling or the execution of the story. Um, yeah, so, so Loki became my favorite for – and some of it involves things like Isaiah Bradley. Like Disney, you don't have – Disney Marvel, uh, you don't handle these issues – uh, very well so why are you trying to and part of the problem is they'll handle it for about five minutes like that's not a five minute issue that's this whole series issue or several seasons issue that's not that's not five minutes stop that what are you doing um yeah so yeah it became it was my favorite but yeah there's 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 uh a, just a teensy bit of racism every once in a while uh, mostly everything's okay because of aliens uh, instead, but just a little bit. There's just a little bit of racism left. Um, that's It's almost solved, apparently, in MCU. <laughs> per, it's interesting you bring up you know aliens and, and may, maybe people get it because I always thought the black people were mutants. Hey, uh, the way that people – at least the way that people seem to think of black folks – marginalized, not a whole bunch of them. Also, wow, look at this person jump. Look at this person run. Look at all these other ways in which this person is not a person, right? Like that was, and I fell in love with the X-Men comics for that reason because I could see so much of my community in them, even as it wasn't about us. But I'm also the kid that was watching Aliens going, oh, they're just like us, as opposed to that being used to tell other people, hey, this is how prejudices actually look, or maybe you'll get it if we put it this way. I was like, oh, no, they're aliens, okay? They got the same problems we got. <laughs> like, yeah, that was also... me as a kid. <laughs> oh, we're just all, we're all just people. <laughs> uh, but that was, that was important to me, uh, to, to ask that question, because, I mean, this is, I'm not ashamed to say my favorite so far, uh, and by a, extremely large margin i did not like wandavision but that's also just me right uh mm -hmm. i've kicked wild falcon and the winter soldier enough to know, <laughs> to, to know that i don't like it right but but that's because i'm me and i live this very particular black life um so i want to split this one into two right because i put it together but i want to split it into two wasn't sophia diamartino delightful yes she was um, I, I don't know her from anything else that I know of, like no other movie can come about. I may have seen something she was in, but this was my first experience with her that I can remember. 
like as a major character and uh i was i was enjoying her being on there uh i mean we've we've done spoilers right there's no spoiler uh problems on this with uh marvel extended characters right so like lady loki but then also kind of enchantress mm, yes yes uh, you know it was one of the it's all the way my room all the way back to like the x-men movie that came out when people make changes because comics are weird and dumb uh when people make major changes uh or or squishing together of concepts to make a good movie or a good television show that would not translate very well uh it's been a long time since i've been harsh on that i've been pretty nice on it. it's like hey you know what that works better uh that's fine so I don't know if anybody complained about like this is Enchantress and not Lady Loki or is Lady Loki in, is Enchantress or hardcore Enchantress fans versus hardcore Lady Loki fans. I don't know if there's a problem with that. I was absolutely fine with like, yeah, that we're just going to, this is, this is Enchantress now. Like this is how we're, this is the Enchantress that we're introducing to the world. This is a Loki variant has kind of the quasi powers, like same punchline, same punchline, different setup. I don't care. I was I was okay with it. They went with Sylvie. Uh, I had no particular attachments. Like, yeah, sure, that's that's a good way to fold in an enchantress and also Lady Loki. Um, I wanted. Yeah, to, I, I, want, I just wanted to comment on that. No, and I, I'm glad that they decided to do that because you know this is this is my joke about the Dazzler. Like the Dazzler is an Omega level mutant that I find useless, and I can't wait to see how Feige decides to do something with her. <laughs> because you know like it, there's parts of her that I think are valuable and that you can include in probably putting together another character but if you just give me the dazzler I'm going to I'm going to follow you because you've earned this level of cachet right you've earned this trust but I'm going to be skeptically looking at you going <laughs> what need do I have of the dazzler so the other part of that question was wasn't Owen Wilson playing Mobius delightful. Oh yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, Mo Owen Wilson playing the quote straight guy. Uh, like I use that term very loosely. He's the one with the suit. So we're just going to go with <laughs> playing the straight man uh, to, to the, uh, to the wacky hijinks that is Loki. Uh, but those definitions barely fit at best. Uh, I, I enjoyed my entire time with him on screen uh and like him interacting with honestly everybody i was like this is just great and he's just he just gets to be low-key funny the entire time uh -huh, low-key damn it uh yeah he just he just gets to be casually funny he not and, he not only and gets, i loved it he doesn't i mean in a late night sh uh late night talk show kind of way Right in that he gets to make a joke that is self-deprecating, but also delightful in a in a dark situation, right? Yeah. You, he, and you could trust Owen Wilson to pull that ripcord just right because a lot of those lines I wrote them down because that's what that's who I am. I live in a typewriter, so I imagine how would it sound coming out of somebody else's mouth, or how else would somebody act this line? And. I thought his was pitch perfect because if it's not Owen Wilson saying those things in the way that he said them, I can't imagine who it might be. Also, I need to comment on this, uh, that they let this character put Loki into a time loop hell. That is the origin story of Milner. 
and I don't know that enough Nor Norse mythology nerds would get there, but he cut off Sif's hair, and that sets him off, you know, to get a trophy for his brother, because at the time his brother is married to Sif, and he's going to punch and kill his brother, unless, or Thor's going to punch and kill Loki, unless he goes and gets this trinket, and this trinket ends up being Mjolnir, and there's a whole other story in that, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. Oh, that's news to me. That's delightful. Okay. All right. So, like, that's that's a way in which I know the show is smart, right? And even the stuff that is going to go completely over the heads of, you know, most people, they're like, nope, you're going to come back to this. And you're going to go, oh, they really love us, and they love this show. Okay. I Yes. Uh, and See, WandaVision, WandaVision, that's how you do an Easter egg. <laughs> that, that's it. That's that's right there, WandaVision. <laughs> oh, my that. God. That's how you do an Easter egg. No, and then, you know, everybody's caught up in Throg, right? Um, who got a cameo, much as it was. Um, mm -hmm. But that one, I felt like that's not an Easter egg. Maybe it is. Maybe it is because they're moving fast. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I'm just glad it was there considering uh, considering the greatest Loki uh, was also there. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm glad uh, that they put hold, that. Hold on. Hold that thought. Yep. A red variety piece about Loki and I pulled this line I think it's when alligator Loki ate President Loki's hand that I realized I was in love <laughs> please continue about the greatest Loki oh yes uh, first uh, I, I was in before the, uh, the hand eating but that was definitely oh gator Loki didn't come to play <laughs> this is glorious oh my god uh, I, I loved the whole thing, uh, all of the, you know, all of the conceptual possibilities, like was it an entire universe of alligators? Uh, what, what did uh, Odin adopt an alligator instead of a frost giant runt? Uh, or, and I know, I don't think it was reflected in the Thor Frog of Thunder part. Uh, sorry, the, the storylines. I've never read the story. I just know Thor Frog of Thunder exists. Uh, but the idea of uh by the way totally you know, different being from throg the thor frog of thunder yes Got it. yes okay. yes so in my entire time i was thinking thor frog of thunder uh because of gator loki with before even seeing it i was like was was this universe where it's thor frog of thunder in the pond and like all of the uh asgardians are actually asgardian frogs and they had were warring against the gators and you know gator loki's kind of small so did did odin the frog above all, uh, adopt the runt gator Loki, like in that universe. Like so many things are going through my head, uh, with the greatest Loki variant. Uh, and then I, I didn't think he could get any better. And then Mobius musing over whether or not gator Loki was actually Loki, uh, yes! made it even better. I did not know it could get better. Could just and be lying to you. That's what you guys do. It. Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> no, all right. So, I probably like too much that a child is is a child Loki's the one that kills Thor. Of course it Was is. That, I want to make sure that should have been from the story, right? Yes. That, yes. Uh, Ragnarok. He was telling. Yes. Okay. Good. I was like, oh, this is the one who succeeded in that story. Right. But I, I wasn't sure. Okay. So we're we're at least in agreement. On that. There we go. <laughs> no, and, and that yeah, he's all the one who got it. Right. All of that I thought was of a piece that is gloriously delightful the more you put it together and the more that you want to just live there, I should say, where you just kind of poke around and see what happens. 
And the more I poke around to see what happens, the more I, I like each one of those Lokis for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. The the <laughs> the thing I read written down on this at the top was, uh, what did you expect from season two? So like, oh man, it, right? I I mean, it's it's a super interesting and awful question because yeah, the show so, is unprecedented. Here's my short dream. Oh, although before we leave the Loki variants, uh, two things I wanted. Please. I wanted more of Traitor Loki. I think he was credited as Boastful Loki initially, but Loki with the hammer. And I don't know if it was an alternate Mjolnir or not. Again, uh, I'm just going to point it out. The black man betrayed them. I know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just point it out. No. Just point it yeah. out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Although it was a bunch of Lokis, they were all trying to this, betray each other right, probably. Right. But and that, yes, that's how that's, I let it go that's too. That's what happened on screen. Yes. You're, absolutely. It's like, oh, come on. I wanted more. I wanted to know more about that guy. Right. Uh, and then similarly, oh, sorry, at that same scene, the look on our Loki's face dealing with all of the other Loki <laughs> in a room for more than 30 seconds. It's like, yeah, this is this is how it feels. I just look on his face. Like, is, is this how I am? Oh is this how God. it feels? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's I'm great. awful. It's great. There's the most there's the most character development right there. It's like. I'm just the worst to hang around. Oh, is it really? Is this how I sound? Yeah. So, so as far as season two, uh, concerning my journey going through season one, where I was, I for just a th- second I thought they were going to go real wild, and when uh, Loki and Mobius were trimmed or pruned, I thought for a minute that I was like, oh. They're out of the series now. Like, you know, Owen Wilson just jumped in for a little while, had fun, but didn't want to commit, you know. And uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston was, you know, like had been playing for a while and he was out. It's like, oh, is this how they take him out? And then it's going to be Sylvie's uh, show. It's going to be like Sophia's show. Like, that's going to be the new Loki. So at, uh, it was, I think that was episode four. I'm like, oh, did they just do that? They get a million points if they did. They didn't fine whatever uh so like i was already in that frame of mind so going into the last episode i didn't get to watch it friday morning at 3 a.m or whatever it was so i actually got nailed with one spoiler before i made it into episode six um i had already known that he that uh that jonathan major is going to be cast as king but not in this movie or Kong, as well. I'm going to go with yours, Kong, in this movie. I didn't know he was going to be in the series. I, it was for another movie. Uh, and I knew there was a possibility that he was going to show up because of the story I'll, I'll say in a minute. But I was spoiled that there was going to be a season two. Like, that news had hit before I watched the last episode. I'm like, dang. Okay, so... Tom Hiddleston's going to make it through this entire series. <laughs> that was that was my assumption based off of season two. I wasn't sure if they were going to put uh, Sophia as like an entire season two on that. It's like okay, fine. I still have no I still have no idea. I know it came out with you know like and there's suddenly he he jumps back to an alternate TVA and Kong's back. A a one of them you know one of the many that it could be. Uh, and the war, but I was expecting the war to be somewhere else. Maybe, as we're talking now, and it just came up, maybe they will do the time war. 
in it uh, versus all of the the multiverse Kongs. Uh, that that the one that was it yeah he who remains talked about like the he who remains Nathaniel uh, talked about like that war happened I'm like maybe they're actually going to do that for season two I didn't think a season two was going to happen and that opens up a whole lot of room for disappointment man for, did... uh, for if they do it we'll we'll see. When things are greenlit because, like, wow, this is really popular, we should do another one. Like, that's the death knell of so many announcements. Not with prestige. You know, with, with prestige television, especially in recent years, we've actually had a pretty good hit rate about that sort of stuff. You know, like, I would cite Ted Lasso as an example of that. Like, it was greenlit for the next two years, which is totally unheard of, right? Greenlit, I want to say, halfway through its first season for the next two years. And Apple had committed to giving it as much money as they needed to tell the story that they wanted to tell. Uh, and I credit Sudeikis and his camp for being like, nope, we're going to keep the very the the very good box that we created in the way that Tim Miller was like, no, I want $150 million, not the $50 million you gave me to make Deadpool 2. And we were like, no, that's why you're good. That's why you're good. But, you know, like, for instance, uh, I cite Jordan Peele a lot in this, in that Get Out and Us both cost $5 million to make. They both cr generated $255 million. Yeah, they crushed it. Right. Just absolutely crushed right. it. Right, and when you're doing that, a studio will give you anything you want, and if that includes half the Western Hemisphere, they will find it for you. <laughs> so, like, from that, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not, I'm not afraid for the show. Okay. I'm okay. just, I'm just interested, right? I just... I'm just interested because now I will I will follow Kate Heron and Michael Waldron where they want to go, and I know that I'm going to have a good time, and that's what I'm here for, and I'm beginning to see the value in that in a way that I didn't once before, and I think that's what I take away from it is, you know, perhaps sitcoms are not terrible. Perhaps happy endings and making people feel okay is not a terrible thing because I'm the person who is, I, I tell my bosses at work, I'm a rock critic. Right. That's how I consume college football. That's my job is not necessarily be a fan of it, though. There are things I am fan of, but a fan is a fanatic. I'm the person that looks at this stuff and goes, hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Or the way I that, will judge you. Right, but like Conan O'Brien had a great, great line about being a late night host and how they evaluate jokes to go in the show and whatnot. And he said, you know, there's really only like seven jokes and you hear them all the time and we use them all the time just depending on what's going to hit and what doesn't. And as a comedian, when you hear a good joke, you just nod your head and you say, you know, that's funny. And you keep going, right? You don't just crack up laughing because that's not who you are, right? You are living in it yeah. all the time. And from that, I just want to see what they're going to do next. Like, I am here to follow them as the storytellers because I'm a storyteller and I know how fucking hard this is to do like it's just it's really right. really hard to tell a story that is that good on paper let alone on 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 television and then when you have somebody like disney who will look at you and say what budget just right just go yeah. just go get what you need ha cost right uh right and so like i guess i'm also I'm avoiding the answer to my own question because i'm not sure at all how you follow this up I just know that I want to see more of it. And I think that six was gorgeous. I think six is a gorgeous number for series 
because they're long enough that you can make your super long movie, right? And they're short enough to where people have been trained to expect 10 to 12 episodes of something. So when they get to six, it feels short to them. To me, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. They put everything into, into an hour of, you know, of television straight, like 57 minutes, 41 minutes or whatever. And that's what I wanted. That's, that is what I came away with. And I'm also, I want to see what other, like, Oscar-level actors decide they want to have a good time. Because, you know, it was, okay, we got to follow Robert Downey Jr.'s example, and then we get other people to sign on. And that's what they did, right? Like, Josh Brolin was like, Mark, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And Ruffalo was like, just trust him. Just just, 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 <laughs> trust, just trust him. him. Like, it, it's going to be so awesome to see. And he was right. But, like, I'm looking at Kate Blanchett, and I'm going, oh, I didn't know I wanted her as Hella. Oh, I love oh, this. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know what? Yeah, sure, that's fine. Right. And she did, it's like, oh, she looks like she's having fun. Right, and that was the thing. It was like, hey, what if you are an Oscar-level actor but are asked to just have a good time acting? And I feel like that's what Jonathan Majors did in that last scene-stealing, or I should say show-stealing <laughs> performance because it was like, oh, yeah. my God, this is awesome. Like, I'm, I try to give these things a lot of time in between rewatches because, A, I rewatch the stuff I rewatch, but... I don't want the lens to go off, so I will rewatch basically Mission Impossible four to six on the regular, or The Gentleman on the regular, because those okay. make me feel good, right? But when it comes to series like this, like I rewatched Penny Dreadful during uh, the pandemic, hadn't watched it, you know, in two years, and it hits. It's good because I don't want to wear it out, but I know right. that I'm going to watch that television show waiting on that performance to come or waiting on the alligator to show up and be like, no, I'm an actual character here with actual things to say, uh, even if they're just biting somebody's hand off. You know, and the, the idea that a presidential Loki is also leading a band of, <laughs> of pirates. And I'm going, yeah, of course, of course you are. And that speaks so well of our country and what we expect from each other. <laughs> yeah. I, with, Let's see what I was going to say about that. Oh, for for the the series coming up, um, I don't I don't care what they do for the second season. I, I have no I have no skin in the game for like one. I have no desire for a particular thing to happen, uh, other than to for to show people are having fun acting as characters and uh you know them kind of you know just keeping everything together it was like i just i don't care what story it is i just hope it's done well definitely not you uh, raised by wolves <laughs> i want to be confused as much as possible good god man um still want a season two that hasn't been greenlit and revolted uh, and revolted. <laughs> oh yeah, just, I just so I guess unlike Raised by Wolves, I'm like I want to be the most uncomfortable. <sighs> uh, this is, you know, I just hope I just hope everybody has fun and the story's done well. Um, I'll just wait for Raised by Wolves season two for getting the most uncomfortable some more. Uh, but if I were to like my guess, if I you know throwing one up on the board, uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, front lines. That was their. That was their always for their big crossover stuff. That was their little like small story miniseries that was always running next to it. Right, was Frontline for like Civil War right, and right, right. yeah. So like a Frontline style of the of the new interdimensional time war. 
that we won't see in the other things that involve, uh, you know, multidimensional stuff, like just little stories, like a, a collection of little stories that are put together in a, in a in an ongoing narrative for Loki. Uh, that's my, but that's what I'm gonna throw on there on the board. But I don't care if it's not that. Uh, like I said, I don't I don't need it to be a particular thing. Honestly, I know. I know Kong's story from only two stories, and both of them I think are not actually canon or only at best quasi-canon. Uh, one was from the uh, collection Avengers Forever, uh, which had a whole lot of him in it. Uh, and I would actually go on to say that kind of like how they took probably the three best Thanos renditions and like shoved them into a ball and made that Thanos for the MCU – uh, I know, like He Who Remains was there, but it seems like they could easily do aspects of the of the Nathaniel that was in that collection. Like if they grab some parts out of there, it seems like they're kind of already leaning towards it and hinting at you know stuff. Like okay, that'd be a good thing to grab. Up. The other one was um, the Last Avenger story, which was very not canon, and Kang was just kind of a secondary character, drastically different from the way he was pitched in Avengers forever while still supposedly being the same one. Uh, because I don't know when those things landed to, uh, you know, around each other uh, or if anybody talked, but it's like, you know what we got, I would like to see if they do grab it. There's some like introspective Nathaniel. Cause at one point he's taking a break before deciding, you know, with the council of, you know, with the council, uh, you know, that was mentioned or that everybody warring, like there's sometimes it's just introspection, and that was the one, and I don't know if it's the primary, but the one that was in Avengers Forever was the one that essentially came from a utopia and was bored and was uh, nostalgic for the good old days of adventuring. And that's the one that decided to start time traveling and having adventure fun, like the good old days of heroes and villains. I, um, I would be interested to see what that looks like visually um, because the way that I remember it it's not as memorable, but then again, that's on a page. And when I say visual, I guess I mean moving pictures. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, comics are, act, you know, a visual form. But no, I, I'm, I'm just going to, to find I'm – gonna, I'm going to take a look at what's coming. I might have some mm -hmm. observations. I'm sure I'm going to follow all the nerd news, read the subreddits, stay on comicbook.com and comic book resources. But I'm glad that this exists – I hope that we can do more stuff like it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because you are one of the good purveyors of culture uh, that I know. And by that, I mean, like, I trust your taste. I trust hey, your taste. I trust your despite taste. Despite Raised by Wolves. Well, right. I, you're just, you're just, uh, you're a fanatic fan of Ridley <laughs> Scott. So like, when it comes to Ridley Scott joints, I'm like... I don't know, man. But like, for instance, if you tell me that Dennis Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve is gonna do some stuff, I'm gonna be like, cool. And then you tell me he's doing Dune, and I'm like, here, I'm, I'm there. I am there. Like, Front row you twice. cannot not right exactly. You cannot not keep me there. I'm kicking in the door. Um, is there other stuff that you wanted to discuss? I think we just about covered it okay. uh, on that. There were, I think that we threw in enough tangents that I covered uh, everything that I wanted for it um yeah so uh yeah heroic mass murderers <laughs> right that's the that's the takeaway <laughs> mass murders can be good too 
God. <laughs> it's, again, it's not the first, and it will not be the last. Raphael and it probably Timken won't is, even be the worst. Raphael Timken is absolutely rolling over four times and showing <laughs> you his ass. Just, that's just what he's doing. Uh, I'm not going to make people Google it. Raphael Timken is the person who came up with the terms genocide and ethnocide and made the UN say these are international law that you need to enact so that we can never have you know the holocaust ever again or um the ottoman empire scourging millions of armenians and, and oh, on and on but yeah that's that's yeah. that's my take on that I'd... oh thank you uh that actually reminded me of the last thing <laughs> you know genocide reminded me of the last thing i wanted to comment on uh <laughs> They made, for the sake of storytelling, usually in comics and uh, movies and whatnot, uh, TV tropes gave me omnicidal maniac. Uh, kill wow. all the things. So, uh, Thanos, when he decided that half wasn't enough, he doesn't care who, everybody dies. It's oh, just well, everybody dies. Okay. Well, so, that, hence, omnicidal, like indiscriminate killing as many things as you get your hands on uh, well beyond Earth. Uh, whereas, like, you know, ethnocide and genocide usually have a uh, an awful targeted, real application. Uh, TV tropes gave us omnicidal for the uh, the next uh, storytelling step up. Good. So uh, Thanos omnicidal. I wouldn't consider Loki one. Uh, N- no. Uh, N- so no. We, we're not going to go that far on it. Uh, like I said, I think the only one we've seen that got anywhere was uh thanos after Whoa. was it replacement thanos after he realized he succeeded failed and, and then and then we will see kong and then we will see kong and then we'll see and we'll see how that one goes uh if it's just uh omnicidal collateral damage or if there's one specifically who is uh wipe them all out <laughs> yeah so that'll be interesting yeah that that is that is those are my thoughts Glad we ended on an upper there, Tyler. Um, <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm here for. Um, that is Tyler Burroughs, who is uh, work, Warhammer 40K enthusiast and king of all miniatures. Uh, thank you so much, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Right on.